0: WNRI, WindSocket. Weather brought to you by John the Roofer. With over 65 years of service to the Blackstone Valley. Find them online at JohnTheRoofer.com or call 1-866-906-ROOF. That's 1-866-906-7663. Thursday begins with very clear skies with relatively high humidity for the time of year. Temps today will top out at 44 degrees. Intermittent clouds appear as evening approaches with temps in the high to mid-30s. An early Friday morning approaches more clouds early on, giving way to milder temps. Friday's high will be 45. For WNRI Weather, I'm Johnny Reynolds. WNRI, the views expressed on the following program of those of its host and participants in no way reflect those of the staff or management of WNRI. Hour 3. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives. The hour of action. It's time for the John DiPietro Show. Here on News Talk, WNRI, 1380 AM and 99.9 and 95.1 FM.
1: He's a special kind of sentinel.
0: Mr. DiPietro, who is in the eye of the storm. Suddenly, John DePetro became the story. Radio talk show host, John DePetro. All right, here we go. Hey, good afternoon, folks. The power hours arrive. Good afternoon, Captain Chris. Good afternoon to everybody on Facebook Live. Folks, this portion of our program of the John DiPietro Show is brought to you by Caves. Remember, with it's lunch, dinner, drinks in the lounge. Stop by Caves; They're waiting for you. Try the steak sandwich. Try the pastrami. I had the roast turkey the other day. Say hello to the wonderful staff there. Well, folks, huge developing day. Huge developing day. And it, apparently at 2 o'clock, Blake Filippi is putting out he's still planning on going to court. So we have a lot. We have the impeachment we're going to touch on, but let's bring him on, folks. He is our legal analyst, Rhode Island top top attorney. Good afternoon to our friend Tim Dodd. Good afternoon, Tim Dodd.
1: Hey, John. Good afternoon.
0: Hey, Tim, I want to start off uh, because I'm seeing that the Speaker is saying he's withdrawing the audit, and this has to do with Speaker Mattiello. But uh, I know it's early, but so far, boy, kudos to House Minority Leader Republican Blake Filippi for challenging the overreach by Mattiello... And this was set to be in a courtroom in less than an hour, 2 o'clock. And unless something changes, uh, I believe I'm following on social media that Blake Filippi is still planning on being in that courtroom at 2 o'clock to challenge Speaker Mattiello with his apparent overreach with this whole GCLS matter.
1: That's my understanding that he plans to be in court at 2 o'clock. The court may well determine at this juncture that the case is moot, uh, meaning there's no longer a case in controversy because the audit has been canceled. So had Blake Filippi gone forward, uh, his complaint, by the way, uh, sounded largely uh, for what we call a declaratory judgment, saying, Judge, here's the action that occurred. Here's the state law that's involved. We want the court... To declare the rights and obligations of the plaintiff and the defendant regarding what Filippi uh, saw to be an overreach um, um, by the speaker's office and/or that committee and/or Frank Montanaro in ordering the audit without the appropriate um, meeting of the board and vote of the board, and apparently. <laughs> And apparently this board meets so infrequently and it's acted on any issue so infrequently that um, there were hardly any rules of the game that they would follow as an ordinary course that's no excuse Um, the the rules of this um, board are the rules of this board and it became quite evident that those rules had not been followed at the time that uh, Mr. Montanaro issued um, the letter requesting the audit. So the audit's been withdrawn. So I'm not sure there's really much of a case for the court to interpret. Um, Typically the courts don't get in involved with hypothetical situations. Yes, had this matter proceeded and had the audit not been withdrawn, then I would have found that the um, statute had been violated. Um, So I think that the speaker, although uh, the action taken two days before Christmas was clearly ill-advised, who knows if it was done in anger, who knows why it was done, but I think he beat Blake Filippi to the punch by almost, okay, Blake, this is a relief. you want. Here it is. We're withdrawing this. I'm not sure a judge is going to do much further with the case. Um, certainly, Blake Filippi might think there's more political hay to be made here, uh, and he may be right, but there's really not let much for the court to do at this point. He got what he wanted.
0: Here's what Blake Filippi has tweeted out just um since the 1 o'clock news. As to this letter, which he claims he never saw, here's what he put. On Wednesday, we told Mattiello we would not sign it. They wanted him to sign it, apparently, to give credence to this JCLS matter. And if he didn't hold a JCLS meeting to approve this audit, filed by a regular meeting, we would file a lawsuit. We don't bluff. He was irate. We will not be bullied. We will not back down from what's doing is right. Um, there, there's just... And it, it's tough, to him because something like this is is uh, fast moving, but there's, there's certainly speculation on Twitter that, uh, and I'm seeing on, on Twitter, that they still plan, while the request for the injunction may be moot, Brandon Bell, the uh, attorney for the Republican Party, says he'll use the suit to press discovery on other questions involving the JCLS. Now what about that angle, if then they, that might be a separate matter, but if they try to then well, use this to try to press for other discovery?
1: And that's that's the really salient point with this whole thing. I mean, you've been talking all morning, I believe, that this is, in your view, extortion by the Mattiello team because of action that was taken against his pal Demers. And you may be right. Um, But the complaint filed by Blake Filippi has no count in it or makes no factual allegations suggesting the issue of extortion or a quid pro quo so unless the complaint is amended to make a pointed allegation that you know there was it's one thing to say that the law was violated because you requested the audit without getting the appropriate vote of the committee which must act to effectuate an audit Um, if that violates the law that's something that's civil that's certainly not criminal If they want to take discovery and to dig in on whether there was extortion, whether it was political pressure, whether it was the threat of unfavorable government action unless certain actions were taken or not taken, I think that to get into those details, this complaint would have to be amended to add the specific allegations um, against Mr. Montanaro or the Speaker or other players involved before the courts is going to let Brandon Milt go on a fishing expedition to see if there's any substance to why this audit was called, when it was called, Um, and again, I think you rightly speculate that it was retribution for acts that the speaker didn't want to be taken. Right now that's speculative. Who knows how much of a paper trail there is? Are there emails? Are there texts? Um, Did somebody record any telephonic communications? We don't know that yet, but I don't think this complaint is the vehicle to look behind the curtain to see what, um, if, if they can prove this was a, an attempt at, as you would characterize it, extortion or whether it was uh, inappropriate political pressure. Not with this complaint.
0: Right. And, 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 and to that uh, end, Tim, I mean, obviously, you know, uh, there are people that, that are fearful. That, uh, that, you know, claimed that this happened. They would have to go on record. They would have to testify, yes, that did happen. Um, I, I, I think what's important is sometimes these things need to be fleshed out, but I, as I step back and try to be objective, if I'm the speaker and he came out saying, hey, listen, you know, I heard some things and I got some information. There was some financial things going on there, so therefore that's why I ordered the, the audit. This morning the convention center, they say we're objecting to the audit. Filippi files a motion against him, and then Mattiello suddenly withdraws the audit. I mean, if we want to play devil's advocate, if, if you had heard there was impropriety, and you were truly going ahead on this because you felt the need to be an audit, I, I don't know why you would be withdrawing the audit based on that. I would think if you have information... And I need you, Blake Filippi, to sign off on this, then I'm bringing you into the circle, so to speak, to show you, hey, listen, I have this information. This is why we need to press ahead with this.
1: And and I think that analysis is correct. Right now, the request for audit has simply been withdrawn, full stop, period. If the Speaker's office or Frank Montanaro said, okay, okay we started this thing incorrectly, we put the cart before the horse, we should have taken a vote, but we're going to now meet and we're going to vote and we're going to fix this because we have a suspicion of financial improprieties. So we got off on the wrong foot, but we're going to correct it because there's financial improprieties or irregularities to pursue. That would be all something that made sense. In the absence of that, if they don't have that sort of... um, statement to make, and if that's not the motivation that they can articulate, then certainly the optics are very bad on this one for the Speaker's office.
0: Yeah. All right. Let's move ahead to, uh, and again, folks, good afternoon. It's Sean Peace with a Tim Dodd. Now, Tim, I have, um, as you can imagine, like a number of the people, but especially because of my occupation, I have I've tried to watch these, this uh, Senate impeachment he, uh, trial, and I've tried to give it a good effort, and I noticed, and there's a big story about it in the Boston Globe, the, the networks are deciding not to air it. And once they move in that direction, um, they never go back. If you're going to get people, you got to get them from the, the beginning to kind of get people vested. People find it tedious. People find it long into the night. When you see some of the senators, they seem bored with it. Um, you and I have discussed these, these charges, I, I, I fail to see, Tim Dodd, the crime here that would warrant impeachment of this president
1: well there is no articulated crime in either of the two articles of impeachment remember when the founders were looking at the notion of impeachment they were concerned about um a president being treasonous towards the country or for other high crimes and misdemeanors now a high crime let's presume is a felony and a misdemeanor is certainly at least in rhode island um something punishable by less than a year in jail and a fine of less than $1,000. After months of tedious hearings in the House, the two articles of impeachment that came out don't articulate any crime, nothing. Uh, one is obstruction of Congress, and as we've spoken about before, if the Trump administration's claiming executive privilege or if they're resisting subpoenas – if, if the congressional committees don't go to court to compel compliance with their subpoena and let a court rule on whether the exercise or the invocation of executive privilege is correct or incorrect, the House can't not pursue its um, remedies that it has available in the court, then complain that the president was uncooperative with Congress. Um, it doesn't work that way they basically sat on their hands is a setup to say, well, you're not cooperating with us, that's impeachable. If that becomes the standard, which it, it won't, it can't, but I'm saying hypothetically if this hearing or this trial, I should say, resulted in such a, a finding, um, then the presidency would be uh, uh, weakened um, beyond measure. Um, it's not going to happen. It's a hypothetical question, but that would be the end result of such a thing. So there's no crime. Um, certainly, this they're going to chop this hearing up to the extent it's televised into um, commercials and other um, average, political advertising from now until Election Day to use this to try to continue to bash the president on the theories that have been put forth by Jerry Nadler, yep. by Adam Schiff. Now, to the extent people are paying attention, um, that's a question mark. For those who are paying attention, you know, there's, there's zealots who are in favor of the president. There's zealots who hate the president. But if you're looking at it objectively, and it's hard to do, um, there simply doesn't appear to be any evidence of an impeachable offense. And I agree with you. I, I've attempted to watch this. Uh, it's it's stultifyingly boring. It's impossible to watch. You know, they used to say that they would uh, play, with, like, horrible music at... Um, Gitmo for all of the uh, right. Middle Eastern prisoners. That's right. I think they should pipe. I think they should pipe this trial round the clock into every prison in america and the recidivism rate would go down dramatically people would be saying no i can't listen to any more of this please make it stop There were reports it, it's that, horrible to listen to
0: there were reports that if you were a Gitmo, uh 24 hour around the clock they would play beastie boys no sleep till brooklyn and just keep putting that on for like oh. seven days straight to just try to weed them down but tim here's the thing it's it's where they I, I i give a lot of credit to um To Senator Mitch McConnell, because by going long, long into the night, when the camera does flash, the senators all seem tired, which we can all interpret as means boredom. Um, The media, the 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 regular general public tunes out. The fact, just from a media standpoint, last night Fox made the decision to go to Tucker Carlson. They just had shift in the screen. When you put it on. You and I know it's not easy to get the attention of the American people. It's it's repetitive, it's redundant. They're talking about Ukraine. This is uh, like any television story or movie. It you have to it has to be easy for people to understand. And last night it became CNN and MSNBC were the only ones running. Even CC, no excuse. Me, even GBH broke off from it. Um, there's no way if you're Channel 10 and you're supposed to be running Ellen in the afternoon, there's no way you're running Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff.
1: Yeah, the, these networks are all businesses, and there's they a are. lot more eyes viewing and listening to their advertisers than the tedium that's going on in the in the Senate. Yep. I, I defy anyone to try to listen to Adam Schiff drone on for an hour about things that he said ad nauseum for months. It's it's unlistenable. It's just, It's horrible television.
0: And, Tim, where this is all leading, again, folks, good afternoon. It's John Peach. speaking with our, our legal expert, uh, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, where this is all leading, as much as, and I see him, Chuck Schumer, Senator Schumer, he definitely has his talking points down. He's on, he makes the rounds on television. He talks about we need documents introduced. We need witnesses. We want documents. We want witnesses. I, I don't see any Republican breaking off. Um, any threat of a smoking gun, I don't see it. I think Mitch McConnell... He, he's going to let this take its course. Do you think there's a possibility that this could, in fact, get dismissed after they just make their arguments?
1: Yes. I think because it just like in any case that would be in a normal courtroom, if at the conclusion of the plaintiff or the prosecution's case, if there's insufficient evidence, um, then it becomes unnecessary for the defendant to put on a defense if the plaintiff or the prosecutors have not made what we would call a case-in-chief to prove the allegations that they've submitted to the, to the judge and the jury. And in this case, unless there's new witnesses or something new materializes, based on the record that the House produced, um, there's clearly no evidence of a crime of any type. And, you know, we've talked about this, but remember, there was the quid pro quo, there was the extortion, they were throwing around all these legal terms um, willy-nilly, and the media would dutifully report on whatever the latest term was that had been probably tested out before a focus group. But at the end of the day, there is no quid pro quo allegations, there are no uh, extortion allegations. It becomes this very nebulous, um, you know, um, obstruction of Congress and when the president's team gets to put on a case and say, there's been no obstruction, we went to court. If going to court to protect your rights is seen as an obstruction, then, you know, we're well through the looking glass and in a very strange environment, because going to court to enforce your rights is not obstructing anything. It's doing what the system is, contemplates parties do, If there's a dispute between the executive branch and the legislative branch, you go to court and let a judge figure it out. Right. The uh, congressional committees failed to do that on purpose, tactically, intentionally, because they didn't want to hear the answer that the court was going to give them.
0: Hey, Tim, if, um, and just finally on this, if President Trump is your client, um, how much do you like that it's the split screen of him overseas, uh, you know, meeting at. Davos and and, uh, speaking with world leaders, giving a speech, carry on business as usual. Um, I I think a lot of times if you're an attorney and you're trying to protect your client, you you like the fact the client is just going about business as usual.
1: Well, we talked about optics with the last situation. I think the optics, to the extent the media is willing to report those optics, are very favorable for the president. Um, he's like the rock star at Davos right now. Um, He's got great news to report. He's crowing about our economy. He's trying to induce the Europeans to, you know, spend more and be more proactive militarily, um, vis-a-vis sanctions on countries that we're trying to persuade to do things favorable to the U.S. and the West generally. Um, And he seems to be grabbing all the headlines the trick is if you turn on CNN or MSNBC you're not going to see much of that Um, and what I find frustrating and I know we've discussed before you've got Schiff, you've got Nadler, you've got Chuck Schumer crying in protest we need the witnesses you've got to look into this and there's not one reporter out there saying "Well, "Well, wait a minute, where were you protesting about all this when Adam Schiff was not letting witnesses be called by Republicans or subpoenaing documents and letting the Republicans even into the hearing when you would be um interviewing or deposing witnesses, where was the sense of fairness when the House was doing its investigation? When did you suddenly develop this sense of you know urgency to have new witnesses and more documents? They never ask the question; they get away with it over and over and over again. And it's just astonishing that there's no reporter who either knows enough to ask the question or has the gumption to ask because they're afraid, I guess, they won't be invited to the right cocktail parties if they should challenge any of these guys. But the questions are there for the asking, and no one asks them. It's it's, You know, we talk about a free press, etc., but... The press has just knuckled under, or they don't want to report the story, or they're disinterested, or they've simply become such cheerleaders that um, what reporters do is becoming blurred with just being um, mouthpieces for one party versus another. No, just kind of carrying along. it's, it's very disturbing.
0: Uh, Tim Dodd, what about, I mean, a lot of times in politics, people make different accusations. But what about this, and it made huge news, Tulsi Gabbard is actually suing Hillary Clinton for, for defamation. What, what, what do you uh, see as you look at that that lawsuit?
1: Well, she's getting great headlines, and um, she's getting lots of media play. Proving what she's seeking to prove may be a little bit difficult. Um, one of the difficulties is in the world of you know defamation and slander. Um, she is a public figure, and it's different when you make comments about a public figure versus someone who's ostensibly simply a private citizen. So, you know, when when um, the president says, "Oh, Nancy, Nancy," um, the speaker is just crazy. That's that's not necessarily slanderous. Right. Sort of just saying she's crazy. Um, it's not said with um, a malicious intent to harm. And that's the standard now when you're a public figure, that there's going to be an intentional malicious intent to cause harm. And Tulsi Gabbard would have to demonstrate that she has suffered actual economic damages because of what Hillary Clinton said. Now when you go back and listen to what Hillary said initially, she said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, um, there, there are certain people running on the Democrat side who are the favorites of the Russians, um, You know, one in particular, and then she mentions Jill Stein as being an asset And then she mentioned another candidate being an asset. She never says Tulsi Gabbard by name during that interview. Now, we can all presume she was talking about Representative Gabbard, but she never says the name. Now, in subsequent interviews, she did double down and essentially acknowledge that she was speaking about Gabbard. But, you know, the Clintons are the greatest in the world at parsing sentences and words and what the meaning of is is. So her biggest defense is going to be to say, I never called her out by name as being a Russian asset. She must presume that I meant her. Now, we know that she did mean Gabbard, but she never said the words. So that's going to give her a little bit of wiggle room. And um, her other defense is the, um, the public figure um, part of this equation. Um, will this one settle? Probably not. And, you know, Tulsi Gabbard can force Hillary Clinton to sit for a deposition and say, okay, what facts do you have in your possession which prove that Tulsi Gabbard is a Russian agent? And at that point, Hillary Clinton's either got to put up or shut up, and if she doesn't have facts to back that up, you know, then Tulsi Gabbard's off to the races in terms of trying to prove damages. Uh, There's a history between these two. Hillary hates Tulsi Gabbard, I guess, because Tulsi... Um, endorsed Bernie Sanders in two thousand sixteen. She's got an axe to grind and this was her chance to take a shot at Gabbard by calling allegedly calling her a Russian agent. So I think if Tulsi Gabbard does nothing else, she can make Hillary squirm, sit a deposition, and put further nails in the Clinton coffin politically.
0: Hey Tim, weren't you I was a little surprised weren't you surprised at Hillary Clinton she she did go out on a on a limb here by It was uh, very out of character that she uh, called her out in that way because the the campaign wasn't going anywhere. So she's uh, certainly, you know, seemingly settling all scores because now she's also attacking Bernie Sanders. But just legally, um, were you surprised that she I mean, she went pretty far out on the on the
1: poll. Well, I, I think she feels free to speak her mind because she's not a candidate. And I think we're seeing that when she is not tightly scripted by campaign managers and provided with talking points, uh, she gets in trouble. I, I think that it was a rather flippant comment during the 16 campaign when she, you know, called Trump supporters a basket of deplorables and, you know, characterized them as homophobic, xenophobic, et cetera. Um, I think when she's left to her own devices, she is a bit of a loose cannon. Um, and this was an example of not having talking points and a script in front of her. That's right. And, and, and I think that's what happens to her, um, just like it happens right now to Joe Biden. When he's not tightly controlled and he speaks his mind, look out and keep, keep the cameras rolling because he's not right. liable to say anything.
0: Folks, good afternoon. It's John DePietro speaking with attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, what about this story the Pawtucket student cuffed? And arrested. It was a big deal. Uh, media making something quite a bit about that. Uh, what can you tell us about this story with this Pawtucket student?
1: It, it's hard to know. It's, it's hard to know. At first blush, when I saw the um, news report on it, um, it, it made me a little uncomfortable, and I don't think it was any coincidence that the ACLU attorney chose to have a news conference on Martin Luther King Day. I mean, is that to drive home the point? Um, I don't think it happened that way by accident. Um, I'm not sure what it means, but I just thought maybe it was an unnecessary um, attempt at grabbing um, media attention on a specific holiday. Um, I was also concerned that when they have this news conference, suddenly um, questions are being asked, the media actually asking tough questions. Such as, what was the nature of the fight between these two middle school students? The lawyer says um, she doesn't want to disclose the subject of it. Well, what was the nature of the physical altercation? Uh, The lawyer doesn't want to describe the fight with any detail. So you know, you've got this news conference, and suddenly you know the the main mouthpiece piece is pulling her punches as to what happened. Apparently, there is a statute which prevents um, individuals who are being charged with a misdemeanor from being handcuffed and brought to the station and thrown in a cell under certain circumstances um, which applies to minors so there might have been a violation um, I don't think there's a racial component, I don't think there's um, any uh, bias that would be a civil rights violation, apparently both of the individuals involved in this altercation, who I think were both 13 or at least both minors, were both charged. They were suspended from school, so certainly there was something going on, and um, both were arrested. Uh, there's an issue of the lack of parental notification before they brought this uh, young woman to the police station. Um, so there's a little bit there, but I don't think there's nearly as much as this initial you know, press... Um, a blast that they got lots of coverage on. Um, I don't think the case is going to hold up as well or be as valuable as it appears at first blush.
0: Um, Tim, there's a story, and I, I want to just touch on this, not the social element media part of it, but there's a story about in Twitter, where this man, uh, excuse me, this man on target, um, David Levitt, he, he goes in to purchase an electric toothbrush, and he claims he should be able to purchase it for one cent, because the price was supposedly posted on a s- display item for the uh, display ad for the item. So the woman that works at Target refuses. He goes on social media, slams her, and th- th- they just stuck this GoFundMe uh, element on for her in order to raise money. But the part about it, this was an electric toothbrush that cost eighty nine ninety nine. Now, as someone that worked in retail. Um, you have two different schools of thought. You have, you know, Nordstrom's was famous, uh, department store known. They, they they took back, somebody brought in snow tires, and Nordstrom didn't even sell snow tires. But I remember when I worked in, um, at a grocery store, and there was a can of coffee, and I, I forget exactly how much it was, but let's just say it was $3.50. Well, somebody, some guy came up, and he, he, scraped off of his fingernail the zero and was demanding I sell it to him for 35 cents and I I I, re, I even though I was a senior in high school I refused and I went to the aisle and showed him listen they were all labeled three dollars and fifty cents for the for the can of coffee and and he was adamant no I picked up that one it says 35 cents and and then the manager came out and he he kind of sided with me and so forth but there's definitely somehow this attitude that people think... Let, let's just even say someone mistakenly put 35 cents, even though it was three fifty, and I could tell that with his fingernail, he scraped off the zero. But um, there's definitely this attitude, and you and I have talked to these cases of somebody... They, they, Amazon, somehow, somebody gets a flat-screen TV they didn't order. And then the people's like, oh, no, no, you delivered a flat-screen to my house. And I accepted it. And it's not leaving my wall. And, and this guy somehow goes in, and even though that electric toothbrush... It's basically $90. He, I, 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 somehow he's demanding, oh, no, no, it says one penny. You have to sell it to me for one penny. Well, what about, Tim Dodd, the legal aspect that these people seem to think they're on on firm legal ground that, that they can demand something like this?
1: Well, yes. People think that they should be able to get something for nothing, just like the guy that had the TV, as you say, uh, delivered by mistake to his house. Um, he had no right to keep that. To go back to that story, when the delivery men or people brought it to the wrong house, it was a mistake. So the, the homeowner that didn't want to give up the TV cannot take advantage of a clear mistake. It's the same with this case. There's many reported cases. Let's assume that, I want to know, any business, a furniture store, a car dealership, puts a big ad in the paper. This weekend only, you know, we're selling... Um, Let's assume it should be we're selling you a um, Lazy Boy for $4.99 and through either a printing error or a type when they typed it up it says $49.99 instead of 4 dollars um, It's a clear mistake. So if people line up for the store opening and say, I want my Lazy Boy for $49.99, the store can say, no, it's a mistake. It's an obvious mistake. You can't come in and take advantage of an obvious mistake. The case law is clear on that, and um, the, the courts have decided that way over and over again. So for this uh, this guy on Twitter to be adamant that he even called the cops to come down, <laughs> to try to force the store to sell him this thing for a penny, it was such an obvious mistake that um, if he chose to file suit, which I don't think he will, If he did, he has no case, because he was clearly, simply, and only trying to take advantage of a mistake. Was it a mistake because a couple of the letters fell off the sign, or the numbers fell off the sign? Who knows what caused it, but it was an obvious mistake. That's the story. Um, He's got no case. Now, what he might have done, I don't think he did, but he came close when he now goes on this Twitter storm talking about this woman who refused to sell, had he maligned her, had he said something about her untrue, had he attempted to impugn her reputation, she may well have had a cause of action against him. Um, I don't think he quite stepped over the line sufficient to give her a cause of action. But, you know, when when you start having these Twitter... Um, uh, Materials go out, and I think he's got like 200 and some odd thousand followers. Yeah, had he said, said something untrue or made with risk, reckless disregard to whether it was true or not, he could have wound up having a lawsuit on his hands at, at, by this woman. I don't think it's there, but that's the danger when you, you know, uh, when you fire off these Twitter things, you can say th- words. In the heat of anger or before you stop and think about it which can wind up with you being subject to a lawsuit.
0: Tim Dodd, the Harvey Weinstein uh, rape trial is finally open. Just two questions about this. Um, Number one, you know, now they show him going in almost with a walker so he seems like a frail old man. Um, I'd like to know your thought if you think or have seen where with a jury that that can work. And number two, I actually saw this morning on Good Morning America, and it's the first time I've heard this, that of two of the defendants... Now, there's a lot of women involved here that are uh, trying to be part of a a class action suit, either got money or they're supposed to be getting money. But of the ones that are actually claiming rape, one of them, that apparently uh, the Weinstein people have an email from her, or a note or a card, or I, I think it's an email where she basically says, this is months after supposedly it happened. Um, I love you, big guy. I'll always love you. I just don't want to be thought of as a booty call, which is code for just someone that you contact when you just want, like, quick sex. Um, what is your thought on him and the appearance of whether or not that actually works with juries? We saw Bill Cosby suddenly had the dark glasses, kind of like a Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder being assisted. And as much as Harvey Weinstein, there's no one on the planet that is essentially going to defend him. Um... It is interesting when these things start and you get in there and you have someone saying that this happened and it was against their will and so forth. And and then, listen, there are attorneys that have to defend them and it would certainly seem to be fair game for them to be able to say, if that is the case, why would you send the defendant an email several months later basically professing that you love that person?
1: Right, that's going to go to this woman's credibility as an accuser. I mean, these cases, like Bill Cosby, where allegations are made months or years after the fact, you know, if it's not a contemporaneous complaint that the victim makes to the police, it's hard many times for the defendant to come up with a good alibi. There's many times not a lot of physical evidence for either side to use. Um, they become very much a he said, she said type of situation. So when there's material like this letter saying I'll always love you and things of that nature, um, that can be used to attack the um, alleged victim's credibility. As, as to your other point about this guy coming out on a walker, um, I guess he was involved in a Bad car accident, and I believe he had back surgery. Now, is he is he gilding the lily here with the walker and you know shuffling along? Is it legit? Is it not legit? Who knows? But what would happen as part of the voir dire of a jury, and the voir dire is when lawyers and the court ask jurors about any potential bias or prejudice um, they have either for or against the defendant. It, in New York, I'm not sure if it's done. In Rhode Island, the lawyers largely do it. In Massachusetts, up until recently, it was exclusively the judge that would vaudeer the potential jurors. But typically, either side or the judge would be saying, now, you know, if you find or the defendant appears to have physical infirmities, um, would that make any of you more sympathetic to him? If so, raise your hand. Well, that would suggest sympathy for the defendant. Um, The defendant appears to have physical infirmities, he's walking on a walker. Does that make any of you have um, harder feelings towards this defendant, um, a bias more against him? And if jurors are, you know, yeah, I think this guy's a phony, then they would knock such a juror off the panel. So before the trial starts, they would try to cull out any bias in favor of Weinstein or against Weinstein by asking the jurors questions about what are you going to make of this guy coming in with apparent physical infirmities, walking on a walker, um, having difficulty, sympathy or not sympathy? Does it change your opinion? And if they say, no, it doesn't matter to me what he's doing, um, that's part of what uh, lawyers in the court call through to make sure they get an impartial jury. So by the time the trial starts, uh, those inquiries of the jury have already been made. They're not... Seated as jurors, and for the first time they see this guy come shuffling in, they already know all about the fact that he's going to be in this condition. And whoever's left on the jury didn't have a problem with it.
0: Folks, good afternoon. Or at least,
1: or at least didn't say that they had a problem. Sure. Many times the jurors don't tell you what they really think.
0: Folks, uh, good afternoon. It's John DePietro with attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, our, our final um case today, and that has to do with the actor. Cuba Gooding Jr., best known for his role as the athlete in uh, with Tom Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire, Show Me the Money. Judge allows two more women to testify in the Cuba Gooding Jr. groping case in New York City. Well, again, you have a, a number of women that have come forward, and apparently if he's out, and he's in a nightclub, and he's drinking, he seem, seemingly, uh, if you believe the women, feel that if you walk by, your fair game for him to touch or grope or what have you. Now, again, I, I'm in no way um, trying to justify the actions. However, this, this is not an assault case. This is not a rape case. What? How do you see this case with Cuba Gooding Jr.? Where they, these women are going after him saying, I was in a New York nightclub and I walked by him and he grabbed my behind or he did this or that. Again, no one is condoning the behavior. But... I'm almost a little surprised that this is going to trial. But how do you see this one, Tim Dodd?
1: Well, it's more victims. Um, Had Kevin Spacey's case lasted, I believe the prosecutors would have been looking for other young men at other bars, other places in the U.S. where um, Kevin Spacey was alleged to have done similar things with other young guys. similar conduct that allegedly occurred in um, in massachusetts so in this case you've got a complaining individual and now you've got corroborating women who are going to come in and corroborate that they were subjected to the same type of treatment by uh, cuba gooding so it's it's testimony and evidence of prior bad acts and if there's a consistency and a pattern um, that does not bode well for Cuba Gooding. Much in the same way, remember the first Bill Cosby trial, they let in, I think, one or two um, corroborating women who claimed to have been subjected to the same treatment. That case winds up with a hung jury. The second trial, the trial justice allowed more women to come in and corroborate that they had experienced the same type of treatment as the um, plaintiff. Um, not the plaintiff, the victim, the complaining witness in the second Cosby criminal trial. So, you know, when you get women lined up, um, if it's a man who's on trial and he's been um, behaving inappropriately towards women um, and you get a bunch of them saying, "Yeah, he did it to me too, yep, he did that to me too, me too, me too, Um, it becomes a cumulative you know, large pile of facts that don't bode well for Cuba Gooding. So he would have liked to have kept it to just the complainant and the fact that his lawyers couldn't keep these other folks from coming in um, is a major problem for him. Folks, he so, is our... You, know, you don't know how it's going to play out, but it doesn't yeah. it.
0: And Tim, finally, with this uh, President Trump in the uh, impeachment trial, uh, the, the best case scenario for the president would be Senator Mitch McConnell, just move this along. You don't do this thing. You know, they're demanding witnesses and all this other stuff. Just let it go through, wrap it up, and then move on. Because I, I really mean, I think the, uh, the, there's nothing new. When I hear any interview about it, it's all the same talking points. I don't think people are paying attention. I know in the Rust Belt, I don't think it's changing any votes. Um, I, I, I I, see no good. The president even tweeted he'd love to go and sit in the front row and look at them. I I I would think the faster they wrap this up and the more he just stays away from it, the better.
1: I'm sure the president would emotionally like to be there and hear from witnesses and really you know, bang the final nails into the coffin of this impeachment um, escapade. But his lawyers would be saying, look for a quick end so you don't get to put your whole case out there. Look for a quick end. The longer this goes on, the more... um, Opportunities for political shenanigans and for some of the Republicans to go wobbly on you. Wrap it up ASAP.
0: Final question. What about how uh, when Biden was asked about him and the son, because they were saying, if you want Bolton, then give us the Bidens. And former Vice President Joe Biden did not hesitate and said, absolutely not, uh, myself and Hunter, we are, we're not going anywhere near that to testify.
1: Well, if they're subpoenaed, I think they would have to. Right. So, Correct. Right. He he has no immunity. He he's not. He doesn't have like an executive privilege. Uh, well, he he may, vis a vis being the vice president at the time. But the problem <laughs> the problem with Biden is he talked so much. He bragged on the record how he had extorted the Ukrainians. That's right. He was very overt about it. So. He doesn't have a privilege to protect because he's on the record saying exactly what he did. So, And the kid certainly has no protection, no privilege. If he's subpoenaed, he'd have to show up. And so for Joe Biden to say, no way, we're not going, I mean, it's just another Bidenism. It doesn't mean much.
0: Folks, he's our legal expert, Attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, great job, we'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. All right, folks. There it is, Tim Dodd, right here on the, the John DePietro show. This portion of our program. Good afternoon, Christine. Hello, everybody on FB Live. Is brought to you by, by Kays. Remember, lunch, dinner, drinks in the lounge. Stop by Kays, They're waiting for you. All right. Right now, we'll open the lines. We have a few more minutes. I'll give you the latest. Now this is a big day against Speaker Nick Mattiello. House Speaker Nick Mattiello. Terrible day for him. Good for Republican Blake Filippi. Good for the taxpayers. Good for good government. Huge day. Uh, on this huge misstep, as we've been talking about. If you want to know what it's all about, if you go to com, you can read the story how he leveled a threat of extortion, and then it is coming back to bite him, and they really got Mattiello on the run. Which is a good thing. Uh, 766-1380, a lot more ahead on the John DePetro Show. Do you own and operate a small business and you rely on communicating with your employees while they're out in the field? Well, if you do, this is the perfect time to make the switch to T Mobile for Business. This is Sal with T Mobile for Business, and I encourage you to reach out to me today at 401-332-0000. This is the perfect time to make the switch to T Mobile for Business. Right now we have unlimited plans with unlimited talk, text and data with no contract, great deals on iPhones and Samsungs. This is the perfect time to make the switch to T-Mobile for Business. Stop wasting money. Call me for a free consultation at 401-332-0000. Again, 401-332-0000. Stop wasting money with your current cell phone carrier. Call me today, Sal, with T-Mobile for Business. 401-332-0000. Let me ask you, if you're ever in an accident, and it can happen, and you don't expect it, what should you do? The first thing you do, Christine, is you or anyone, you call 911 and file a police report. Now, follow me. If you can drive your vehicle away, maybe they didn't damage it that much, your first phone call is to West Fountain Auto Body, 401-272-3340, 272-3340. It's West Fountain Auto Body. If you can't drive your vehicle... If the nitwit that collided and damaged your vehicle, if you can't drive it, then when the tow truck shows up, tell them, bring this vehicle to West Fountain Auto Body. 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. It's Kenny. It's Patricia. It's your vehicle. Remember, they'll repair it. They'll get it back on the road. They'll handle everything for you, and they're going to work for you, not the insurance company. It's West Fountain Auto Body. 272-3340. 272 272- Thirty-three forty for West Fountain Auto Body. You are listening to the John DiPietro Show on 99.9 FM and 1380 AM. News Talk WNRI. All right, folks, and we're back on this Thursday. Good afternoon, one and all. There's Ricky Krasner, Edgewood's checking in. Here I am It's Juan. Good afternoon to everybody on Facebook Live. Again, remember, remember uh, visit the website, dipietro.com. So, folks, the Republicans are going to have a, a Republican Party, Rhode Island, a rare press briefing this afternoon at 3.30. I have an, another obligation. I can't go, but I'm very sure we'll have a Blake Flippy on the program tomorrow. But what a huge day for good government. And as I, I've explained the story. I think you can follow it. This was, to me, clear extortion, a member of the L O crime family, this guy Jim Demers, a good buddy of his... Campaign contributor, good friend. He works at the Rhode Island Convention Center. He got himself jammed up. They were moving to, I believe, suspend him and then maybe even, I believe, he's going to be terminated. Hello there from White Plains. I used to live in Rye, Rick Krasner. Very brief period of time. Lived in Rye, New York. Beautiful. Actually bought our first home there. Should have held on to it. But anyhow. Um, so Matty Yellow was the convention center they were going to fire this jim Demers. what happened was he laid down the gauntlet and said if you fire my pal i'm going to cause hell for you i'm going to order an audit and no one can tell me Matty ellis has been trying to say you know that's not a bad thing if you're doing a great job an audit gets to show you that you that that, that no one believes that right who listing after you fire your taxes in april who wants to hear that you're going to be audited he the same thing. It's a nightmare. Anyone that's ever been through it, thank God I have not. But anyone who has or a business, they ought, they have to find something, right? It turns people's lives upside down. So for him to say, oh, I, I think it's a good thing that I audit an audit, that's ridiculous. They regularly do audits, by the way. So, no, this was retribution for his friend. And if you read the Petro.com, seemingly being justified that, in fact, that he was going to be terminated. Good afternoon, Linda for, Tavares. So what happened was we exposed it. Blake Filippi, the Republican, Susi Yankee immediately called it out, said this is a quid pro quo, this is extortion. Blake Filippi said, hey, listen, in order to do that audit on the Rhode Island Convention Center, you needed my vote, and we didn't vote on it. So therefore, I don't think legally you can order it. So today, as a matter of fact, in less than five minutes, Blake Filippi, the House Minority Leader, one of the good guys, he's going to be in a courtroom. And he challenged Mattiello and fired, filed against him, saying, we're going to find out what a judge thinks if you legally can order the audit. Now, Mattiello, the Speaker, he blinked. This became a game of chicken. This is a rare example of Speaker Mattiello having his authority challenged, and it should be. Because as you, if you listen to this program, you know the evidence is there. That Speaker Mattiello and his right-hand goon henchman, Frank Montanaro, they have been running a criminal enterprise out of the Rhode Island State House, And there's plenty involved. You have the campaign worker who's going to be on trial for money laundering, a felony. You have the actions of that Leo Skenyon that are very suspect. He's a member of the family. You have others that are members of the family. They have their fingerprints in the growing cannabis business and operation going on in Rhode Island. But this was a rare display of someone staring down Mattiello. And Mattiello blinked today and withdrew the audit. But that doesn't mean the damage wasn't there. They already audited. So Blake Filippi, to his credit, is saying, well, we're still going to court. And I want to get there's other evidence. Folks, I- I'm not going to bore you with some of the details, but here's what you need to know. Mattiello and his right-hand hand, Montanaro... They have a piggy bank of $45 million that they play with. They give out jobs. The money is flying. Imagine having access to $45 million. It's wrong. It should be ended. It increases illegal activity. Now, I've been watching Mattiello now since he took over the day after Gordon, Gordon Fox was raided at his house and office raided. Matty Yellow was, uh, was at the old canteen. They had him on the sidewalk. He's calling people. He gets all the votes and so forth. You know, people have been going off this whole notion of he's the firewall, right, at the state house against the progressives. I'm telling you, it's nonsense. He hasn't done anything. They are running a criminal enterprise. Where he is in trouble is the investigation will show that I believe you are seeing them building a RICO case. And if you go to petro.com, you can read about it, D-E-P-E-T-R-O.com, that they are building a RICO case against Mattiello, that he instructs his underlings to commit criminal wrongdoing, and there is a chain of command. What got Cianci in trouble? The chain of command RICO. If you're the boss, if you're the guy, you're, you're the godfather, you're the don, you're the person in charge, you can't be ordering people through the notion of their job to break the law right? To commit acts, criminal acts. And that's what they have been doing. It is a criminal enterprise. They're criminals. As I've told you, I've been saying he is. Of course, he's a criminal. But the element of them running a criminal enterprise is finally catching up with them. But today, Blake Filippi shooting down Mattyello, Folks, this is one of those days. This, this, this was a major day in the battle against corruption.
1: He's John D. Petrol. He's really in the
0: know. That's right. With his talk show. Oh, I try to be. On your
1: radio. On your radio. He's John D. Petrol. Yep. Tune in, your radio. Tune in. Go get him, Johnny D. All right,
0: folks, that's going to do it for this Thursday. Now we'll have more developments. Blake Filippi will be on the program tomorrow. Huge day for him. We'll see. The impeachment stuff is a bore. Listen, go to petro.com, Read all about it. Stay tuned. The John Dion program is next after the 2 o'clock news. We'll have a lot more tomorrow on uh, the Maddie Allo saga right here on the John DePetro Show.